very happy to have Clyde Tillman with us. Clyde is the president of Leetech USA. Clyde, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here, Jam. So we're also very happy to have with us Chuck Kohler. Now, Chuck, he's the director of technical support at Leetech USA. Chuck, we're happy to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Jim. Nice to be here. Today's podcast is about plate calibration. Now, we've had some other ones, and we've talked about ink film thickness. So what, what's so important about plate calibration? Well, uh, Jim, if we, if we stop and, and remember what the first couple of podcasts were about ink film thickness and about stability, basically, you have to preface each one of these uh, podcasts with like a disclaimer saying that none of this works unless your your materials are are accurate and stable uh unless your press settings are optimized and maintained well um all of it is predicated on that right so so the ink tone thickness is great right but it's also your roller settings have to be great and and the blankets and the packing have to be great and your ink and water balance have to be great and it has to all be maintained and stable there so that being said, um, the objective of calibration is, and again, you go back to the podcast number one, I think it was uh, um, uh, the ink film thickness. I can't remember part number two was maybe don't stop the press, but all of that was trying to achieve and maintain a consistent ink film thickness. So based upon all of the materials and settings of your press uh, and of your print process when you print a specific ink film thickness as long as there's no variables in the system for any reason you're going to have a resultant dot gain right right and that dot gain should be stable uh, but it may not produce the proper color it may not accurately reproduce the file that you're sending over to the press so for example um i hit all of my target ink densities and i'm on a specific substrate and my gray uh my gray background is green right so i'm I'm hitting all my standards uh everything is really stable uh but my grays are green so now what do we do well, if we're printing the standards, really nothing you can do um, except for take your ink films out of tolerance to try to compensate. And that's where you te- that's where you stretch the limits of, of your system. That's when it right? starts and to go off the things- rails, right? We're not supposed to do right. that. Right. Or so so maybe, well, we'll get into the problems later. But so so the idea is, is to... Make sure that your system is is accurately uh, um, adjusted. You know, your roller settings are all right. You're using the correct uh, fountain solution, that it's mixed correctly, uh, that that the printing pressures are good, that your blankets are good, not smashed. Make sure all of that's good. Then you print a, a specific ink film thickness and reach your target densities. Uh, and right there, that is what you need to calibrate. Okay. That is your system set up and stable. That's what you need to calibrate to. So when I calibrate, I need to take, there's a bunch of uh, terminology that's used for a, a 
raw printing plate, an uncalibrated printing plate. Some people call it a linear printing plate. Yeah, that's what I remember, I like the, linear. Yeah, linear plate. What else? Right. Linear, linear infers, though, that you have... Linear used to be back in the old film days, right? When you used to contact film to the plate. And linear... I guess, I guess infers, we're aging ourselves if we use linear. Is that yeah. what you're trying to tell me, Chuck? Okay. Yeah, it is exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was a pain in the butt because, <laughs> because when CTP came out... Um, People were convinced that you had to linearize or you wouldn't, you'd be lost in the woods. You wouldn't know where you were. So they would painstakingly, it, the first step in the process of calibration would be painstakingly measuring the plates, which there's really not a whole bunch of devices that, that are accurate measuring printing plates. But they would measure the printing plate and try to make a, if you had a 10% dot in the file, they would try to make that plate read 10%. And a 50% plate uh, dot in the file, they would try to make the printing plate measure 50%. But for an example, a war story, I guess, uh, when I was working with a big uh, print machine manufacturer, we had a plate setter and we had a specific brand of plate that we used on that plate setter. And when they calibrated, we hard calibrated it, which means that they made sure that a 1% dot was imaging and a 99% a dot was imaging on that plate, the 50% would measure a 60. Yikes. So everybody would take their plate measurement devices out and you would put out these plates and then you would measure the scales. Some people would go crazy, go every 5% increments or something like that. And then they would, you know, force the 50 to be a 50 right not a 60 so they would be taking 10% out of the midtone right and then they would put those plates on the press and they would print them and they would print sharp clean because they didn't have any dot gain to them so so then they would turn around to do a process calibration which would reintroduce the 10% that they just took out of the plate no this is so, this is the memory i have chuck is like you know you get consultants come in and, you know, you're down for a week or two trying to, you know, get all, I mean, is there, is it, does it take that long now to do, a, I mean, we're saying we need to do a plate calibration. Are there any tools to make that easier now or what's going on? Well, with that? Of course, yeah, of course there's software, there's, you know, there's measurement devices, there's all of that stuff. Uh, uh, as I said uh, before, I believe um, some companies would come in and take, it would take them a week on press to do a series of calibrations and then it would take them another week to analyze the data and create the, the plate curves. So it literally, it would be a two week process. And I think they would charge like $20,000 and they would come in and do it. So as long as you, as, as you have all your ducks in the row and you know, you know what you're doing, um, plate calibration can be like an hour long process. Literally. So it, does, it, it doesn't have to, it doesn't. Long. Yeah. Okay. All right. And so, and, and again, um, so once, like you were telling me before, like a, if they're in the middle of a job and they starting to see it drift, like how often do they keep compensating before they have to stop and kind of fix the problem? So, so again, because I do this all the time, you, you get used to looking at what you're seeing and trying to determine what's causing it. So there's two kinds of things that happen. 
so you come in and do a calibration. Everything's beautiful. There, people are like raving, and you know that's the best color that they've ever had coming off, which is you know pretty commonly what happens when you go in to calibrate. People are amazed. Uh, but then the process starts to drift. I think we talked about this. It's a, a little machine, before. right? It's always going to drift. Right. It's never going to stay perfect. Right. Uh, so, so just going from summer to winter or winter to summer, you're, the temperature in the press room is changing and, and the print characteristics are changing. And this, but this happens slowly over time. And it's like, I guess the, the analogies of being a, a frog in a pot of boiling water, right? It, it never notices that it's getting hotter, right? Pressmen just keep making adjustments and adjustments because they keep drifting, but they don't notice anything changing, right? They're just adjusting job by job by job by job. And before you know it, you're out, you know, you're out, uh, you know, 10, 20 points of density on your target trying to adjust for whatever care, whatever's going on in your process. Uh, but again, that's like a slow boil. It happens over time. Um, but then you can have something like a, a roller gets damaged, <laughs> right? Or it's not adjusted correctly. And that happens, that manifests itself immediately. All of a sudden you're going along and boom, you got one section of your print that's way too magenta or not enough magenta. So, you know, you're in, you're in the middle of production. You got you to gotta adjust for this. What do you do? Well, you don't have time right then to, to stop the press and jump up and, you know, analyze everything and fix something. So maybe you go back to the plate room and say, hey, we really can't fix this. We need you to give us a plate with 5% less magenta. So the plate room will do that. And, the, you know, that'll get them by and everybody breathes a sigh of relief. And normally what happens is they leave it like that. Because so they, that costs they, they, them once they that put problem. the Band-Aid on, they don't, they don't rip the Band-Aid off, right? So, so Right. That's the Band-Aid analogy. So what do you, so, so you got to do there? Well, and again, uh, you, it's okay to put the Band-Aid on because you got to cut, right? If, if something's not working right, you put the Band-Aid on. As soon as you get the, the, the time right after that occurs, you've got to track down the problem and fix it so that you can rip the Band-Aid off, right? That's and right. I always, when I was given seminars in my uh, previous life, I would always say, it's okay to put a Band-Aid on, but once you get two on, you're sort of you're sort of messed up because you Band-Aid number one covered the root of the problem up, and Band-Aid number two hid the hid the root of the problem. So now now you're just going to keep putting more and more Band-Aids on, and, and we'll, you're never going to. It won't be long till gangrene sets in. Is that what you're saying? That's right. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to amputate pretty quickly, and basically <laughs> that. That starts the process all over again. So, you know, you had you, you spent two weeks and $20,000 to calibrate all your substrates and boom, it keeps walking off. And then all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. Then we got to have the you know same people come in and two weeks and $20,000. And, that, and that's why again. no one does it. That's right. Like, it's just it's right. like, so, so here's a question for you, uh, Chuck. So then how, do, how does lithoflash help you to avoid like the gangrene of, you know, not fixing the Band-Aid? Like how does lithoflash help in that whole process? Well, I guess, I guess you could say lithoflash sees the cut as soon as it happens. Uh, uh, and, then, and then maybe you don't even have to put the Band-Aid on. Maybe you just fix, fix the issue uh, or avoid the cut in the first place. So, so you know, you don't, you don't have to let the gangrene set in. Ah, but, got it. So you don't even have to put the, like, in other words, you, you, 
you see it quicker. Why? Because because you're because it's not like every occasional pull, right? You're right. So let's let's just say. Let's just say you're pulling every 500 sheets and measuring and, and, you know, during a production job and something goes wrong with maybe a spring breaks on one of your rollers or something like that. And it's not being, it's not making contact. So, so now you got a situation where one part, one half of the, uh, of the press is like printing good density and the other half is light because you're not, the ink's not transferring the same. Well, you don't notice that when you're pulling every 500 sheets because it keeps opening up the ink keys and keeps making it better slowly. But with Lithoflash, you're looking at the monitor and bam, all of a sudden a half of the sheet goes light, right? And it, and it goes light in a specific way, right? So, so your densities are fine on one side and then they're dropping downhill all the way to the other side. So, I mean, that's just an example of what might happen Uh, or maybe ink keys dicks. And you can see that that one ink zone on Lithoflash opening way up or closing way down to try to compensate for that one bad ink zone. So you see it immediately, and you have to respond to it. Yeah, Clyde, what do you what do you think about that? That's, that's interesting. What do you got to say on that one? Well, it's across the board, Jim. The the uh, I think one of the things that people recognize the most with Lithoflash is that because you're reading every sheet, you know it it, it just it highlights any problems that you have. You know, most people, you know, of course, you don't want to spend money if you don't have to, but most people want to keep their press running optimally because they know they're making money. If their press is running well, they're making money. And and nobody wants to save $1,000 and lose $20,000. You know, they, they want to make those changes and upgrades to keep the press optim- running optimally so they can have the most most bang for the buck, you know. But in so many cases, they just don't know. It just gets buried. You get Band-Aids. And so pressmen make adjustments that cover things up, not necessarily intentionally. They're just trying to get through the day and get the job ran. Lego Flash really does a nice job of accentuating those problems and showing you where, not making the problem worse, but showing you that you have a problem and it's a little easier to find it. When you start reading every sheet and you see the density of every sheet as it comes through the press, on every zone, I mean, it's it's enlightening to to recognize where you're having issues. You immediately find the problems. But Chuck, I've watched you do plate calibrations a couple of times, and it's always fascinating to me. Uh, I know you use, uh, I think, Curve Force software. Can you run through a little bit of a, of that process? Just a brief scenario of what we do when we calibrate plates. And and I tell you, Jim, it is impressive. You take People can fight their their uh, uh, you know, the whole thing is you want to match your uh, your uh, uh, proofs and they fight that like crazy you know they have a proof or they have a previous job you know and our whole belief and whole concept is we want to paint to the numbers you know we want to reach the scientific numbers that that technology gives us and match the last job through science not through our individual vision yeah, yeah that you makes know? sense Clyde that, that makes there, sense to me. That's there, Everything gets messed up is when we, when pressmen, different people try to match colors optically with their own eyes that never match. They never match. So we're trying to get away from that. We're trying to use science to paint by numbers. And and so if everything is calibrated correctly, 
you're going to match that proof just strictly by science instead and technology instead of a visual inspection. And it is always enlightening when somebody's struggling matching their proofs and then watching Chuck go through that process. And then at the end of that process, throw the printed sheet on the console, throw the proof on the console, and you get a lot of, I'd be damned, that looks good. And so it's a lot of, uh, it's, it's an impressive process when that happens and it's eye-opening. Uh, Chuck, can you kind of walk through that process a little bit about what, you know, how that works? Uh, sure. Um, and again, uh, to go back to the beginning, podcast number one, ink film thickness. I mean, that, that's where it all starts out. So, and, and again, even pre-podcast, pre-podcast one, um, which is that is that disclaimer that none of this works unless you know your press all the adjustments on your press are right that the materials are right uh, that everything's working right on your press because if, if that's not right you can't maintain an, a, 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 con a consistent ink film thickness so the first step is to determine what your target values are which in turn dictate what your ink film thickness is going to be and the materials are manufactured to standards so that when you hit the target densities that you're shooting for, you're pretty much assured that you're going to have uh, a standard ink film thickness. One, a standard ink film thickness for each of the process colors. And that's where you're right in the middle of the window. That's where you have the most tolerance to adjust ink film slightly up or down to adjust for things if they do go off and that's where most people fail and that's so so the object of calibrating is to set your standard colors set your standard target densities print a standard ink film consistently and then when you're at that point you basically measure the results and you run the results through a software program like Curve 4 if you're doing uh, G7, or you run it through a, well, you can still use Curve 4 if you're doing dot gain, uh, like for ISO, uh, and you calibrate the, the dot gains of that stable system of that consistent ink film, right? And that, the object is, is that you're repeatable there, that every single job you run up to the same densities, the same ink films, and then you calibrate so that the dot gains fall right where they should. Or in the case of G7, that your gray balance is where it should be, right? So then after you make your calibration curves, you put the same calibration test form right back on the press and you print it to the exact same target densities that you just use to calibrate and that's when you should be able to take that printed press result put it up on the console and put your proof down next to it and be amazed so so you're basically you're you're determining what those curves are using the software whether it's g7 or whether you're doing it off dot gain typically here in the states we use g7 so you're determining that proper curve and then updating it in pre-press at the ctp device and so so at that point, we're sending the right file to the proofer and the same file to the press, and they should match. That's correct. 
Uh, the key, it to, does work. the key to that is, and, and I think that we started out, uh, you know, talking about companies that would come in and take. Well, actually, it would take more than two weeks because a week before the company would come in to do the calibrations, the press, uh, the the print print shop would run around like chickens with their heads cut off, trying to, you know, change all the blankets, adjust all the rollers, change the fountain solution, put new plates on, all all this stuff to doll up the press because. Because they know that the press isn't stable, right? They know they know hey, it's it's in this production. It's never, so what they do is they basically adjust the press to a condition that they'll never see again, right? <laughs> and then they calibrate to that, and then, yeah. and then that doesn't work. So uh, we would suggest that a you have your standards and your processes all optimized. And that you maintain them there within a certain degree of tolerance so that anytime anybody walks into the press room, you you, you can be pretty sure that you're going to get a stable, consistent result off the press. Right. Yeah. And that's where everything has been a struggle in the past. And that's what lithoflash and inline measurement devices allow people to maintain or to that you can use that as, as a tool to immediately see when something's going off kilter and fix it immediately so what you're saying so what you're saying chuck which i think this makes so much sense is that rather than than spend a bunch of time making your press perfect new blankets new rollers everything perfect you should calibrate the way your press runs 80% of the time, That's which right. is slightly worn rollers, slightly worn blankets. And so don't calibrate it to a press that's optimized for a month. Calibrate it to a press that the way your press runs 90% of the time or 80% of the time. Right. And, and, uh, and you should be in the habit of maintaining that within a certain tolerance. And, you know, I can't begin to... <laughs> tell you all the tolerances that are involved but you should have good standard operating procedures of maintaining the press adjustments and the materials and blankets and pressures and all of that on the press on a daily basis to 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 something reasonable right to something so that you're not way far underpacked or overpacked on a different blank whatever um yeah you should maintain uh, a good print quality off of the press always yeah but it, but if you establish those curves based on a press that's in a running condition you know not perfect and not worn but in an average condition then when you do put new rollers in or put new blankets or whatever yeah it might be slightly off but as you wear those blankets down wear those rollers out it's going to be slightly off but you're going to be right in the middle there 90 percent of that press time and rather than always degrading those uh, th- those curves. Um, yeah, and in the adjust. So so I I calibrate my press today, and like you said, there uh, you know some of the roller adjustments might not be perfect, and blah blah whatever. Uh, but then it's just then it's over the way you run. right then. But then over time, something goes wrong, and you replace a roller. Well, mm-hmm. yes, the characteristics change. 
but you can make adjustments to bring it back in because you're not out of tolerance. You're not way out in left field, okay. right? You're starting out with right. a new roller, so you just need to make a new adjustment. Uh, and then, yeah. and then you can continue to adjust for to that new roller's condition as it starts to uh, be, become worn in. Um, and all of these are adjustments that don't require a new calibration, right? Yeah. So, in general, a lot of this is based on the type of business you run. You know, if you're running pleasing color in the commercial world, you know, some of this is overkill. You know, you're not really trying to match a job you printed 18 months ago. In the packaging world, it's critical that those boxes on the shelf all look the same, you know. And uh, so it's a different it's a different world in the packaging world. And uh, they most most packaging companies are really committed to the science. They're committed to the to the to developing processes that are going to content that are going to where you can match those colors from day one to day one hundred and one, and package one to package ten thousand and seven. And so uh, science that science has to has to rule the day when it comes to color control in the packaging world. That makes and, a lot and, of when you, and when you come come right down to it, it's it's not rocket science. It's 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 all about the ink film. That's what yeah. it all comes back to that. Because if you're not printing the right ink film, you're not printing the right color. If you're not printing the right color, then you have to adjust the ink film further and further out of optimum or out of tolerance until the point where the system breaks down. It doesn't respond correctly. And then you have issues, right? So so the, 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 the foundation to all of this, of course, the press settings and everything else, but the foundation to all of it is a, a standard, consistent ink film. No, that's I think it. that's fantastic. I mean, you, you guys have yeah. really made that point clear. And uh, I just want to thank you both. Uh, great job on the podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Mm-hmm.